We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 665 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Wednesday September 27th 2023 the day on which the commanders begin their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Philadelphia Eagles at one it is a day on which we expect to hear from both commanders head coach Rod Rivera and commanders quarterback Sam Howell what will they say how will they be uh, as the commanders now turn the page from the uh, hideous 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon to this big game at the Eagles this Sunday afternoon. You know, the winner of Commanders-Eagles is guaranteed to have at least a share of first place in the NFC East. No, having at least a share of first place in your division four games into a regular season. It does not mean a ton, but that is something. Uh, two and one Commanders at the 3-0 and Eagles. Washington has not got at least 3-1 and to begin a regular season since 2011. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I, on this installment of the pod, have not one, but two guests for you. I will speak with Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock, who this Commander season is joining this podcast on an every other week basis. Uh, Mark is going to give us an in-depth, high-level X's and O's assessment of what Sam Howell and the Commander's offense need to correct. Uh, yes, we will address the sacks. Uh, and the interceptions, but in a way that spins things forward as opposed to harping on every little thing that went wrong in the loss to the Bills. Uh, Also, Mark will give us his evaluation of the play calling of Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Biennemi in that loss to the Bills. And Mark will explain why the Commander's pass rush in the loss to the Bills was not nearly as good as the Commander's pass rush was in weeks one and two. And then we're going to get a comprehensive breakdown of the Eagles from a man who knows the team well, Sean Green, co-host of the wildly successful The Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. Uh, Sean is a big Eagles fan, but he is a level-headed, sane (laughs) Eagles fan. I know, imagine that. Uh, But Sean's a lot of fun to talk to, so we'll have some fun with Sean and learn some things about 
the commander's opponent this Sunday afternoon. Among the items that I'm going to get into with Sean is this Eagles loaded defensive line, maybe possibly the best defensive line in Eagles history. Additionally, next segment, I'll give you three things that stood out to me from a big piece by ESPN on Commander's Managing Partner Josh Harris. Uh, This piece coming out on Tuesday morning. So a lot of Commander's conversation on the show. And also on the show, I will talk Orioles and Nationals off the two teams playing each other at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday evening. The American League leading O's won 1-0 as Kyle Bradish outdueled Josiah Gray. Bradish continued his great 2023 season. Gray ended his 2023 season in a great way. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night did win uh, a 9-7 win at the Boston Red Sox, but the Orioles' magic number to clinch the American League East is down to 2 uh, as the O's have the tiebreaker with the Rays. But I'll discuss the O's win over the Nats from both Orioles and Nats perspectives. And I will pay proper homage to Orioles all-time great third baseman Brooks Robinson. He has died at the age of 86, uh, one of the greatest players in baseball history. The human vacuum cleaner, as he was known. Uh, rest in peace. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Dr. George Verghese on the commander's loss to the bill. Specifically, Eric Bieniemy writes, Dr. Verghese, this loss falls on EB shoulders with a subpar offensive line and a quarterback who holds onto the ball for too long and takes sacks. The only way to win is with a short pass West Coast style offense with Three-step drops mixed in with RPOs and a zone-blocking running scheme. The ball needs to come out quick. We need to grind out long drives. But what do I know, right? <laughs> uh, thank you for the email, Dr. George Verghese. Eric Bieniemy did not have a good game on Sunday afternoon. When your offense scores no touchdowns, goes just one of nine on third downs, commits five turnovers, and allows the opposing team to finish with nine sacks and 15 quarterback hits. You as an offensive coordinator have had a bad day and have done a bad job. What happened with the commander's offense in the loss to the Bills was a collective failure, a failure by Sam Howell, a failure by the offensive line, a failure by Eric Bieniemy. Now, that doesn't mean that each party had the same amount of responsibility in the failure. But Eric Bieniemy absolutely could have done a better job with his play calling. I don't get why we did not see more in the way of moving pockets. You know, Sam Howell on the second snap of the second quarter had a first and 10 nine-yard shotgun sprint out completion to receiver Terry McLaurin. I really like that play. Why didn't we see more sprint out throws by Sam in this game? What about some play action boots? Uh, Eric Bieniemy knows offense. I'm sure that he has his reasons for calling the plays that he called on Sunday afternoon. But a basic idea when a team is giving up constant pressure, as the commanders were, uh, is to get the quarterback on the move. We did not see much of that from the commanders in this loss to the Bills. Uh, Email from Kim on potential repercussions from the commander's loss to the Bills. Writes Kim, I, like most fans, am pretty upset about the loss. We want to see Sam Howell protected, and we want to see competitive play from the offense and the defense. But do you know who is going to be holding Ron Rivera and his gang accountable and is going to be asking the obvious but tough questions? Our new owner. This guy just paid a chunk of change for this team, and he is going to want answers. 
Thank you for the email, Kim. You know, they're on Sunday afternoon. It was no game ball <laughs> presentation from Ron Rivera uh, to his boss, Josh Harris. Ron had been giving Josh game balls left and right. No game balls on Sunday afternoon. Uh, not when you get smashed to the tune of 37-3. I do think that the commander's 2-0 start to the regular season bought Ron at least a little bit of cushion in terms of the possibility of him being fired during the season. Uh, but if the team of getting blown out by the Bills then gets blown out at the Eagles this Sunday afternoon, and let's say the Commanders then somehow lose to the lowly Chicago Bears at FedEx Field on Thursday night football on October 5th, then the heat is on, uh, especially considering that the Commanders then have a stretch of four or five games on the road. But let us not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, the loss to the Bills was a bad game, but was just one game. Uh, one of the worst things that you can do with the NFL is get sucked in by a singular result. And hey, if the Commanders somehow win at the Eagles this Sunday afternoon and are 3-1 and one with a shot at getting to 4-1 and one via beating the Bears, uh, then all of the positive vibes are right back to being in effect. One win is all it takes. You know the song by the great Dua Lipa, One Kiss is All It Takes? One win <laughs> is all it takes. And we're right back to feeling well. Well, we always hope that you are doing well, but if you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, or if someone who you care about has been harmed by the negligence of someone else, know that the law firm of Polson and Nace is there for you. Polson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Polson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices, and false advertising. Heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region, and Paulson and Nace has won millions of dollars for clients. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Before we get to our special guest, Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock, I want to discuss an ESPN article on a Commander's owner. Now, in recent years, the phrase ESPN article on a Commander's owner meant an explosive bombshell piece on Dan Snyder. 
And no doubt, we over the last few years have had quite a few (laughs) of those pieces. But now that Dan is no longer owner of our team, we can breathe easy. Uh, This ESPN piece was about the commander's new lead owner, their managing partner, Josh Harris. Uh, The piece was by ESPN.com senior writer Ramona Shelburne. Headline, quote, why the commander's $6 billion bidding war was one Josh Harris had to win, end quote. Uh, The majority of the article is about Josh Harris's background and the path by which he became commander's owner. But for our purposes as commander's fans, there were three things that stood out to me in particular. One was the percentage of the commanders that Josh Harris owns. So he is the team's managing partner. And then his group, the Josh Harris group, also includes a number of limited partners, including Mitchell Rails, who has been believed to be the top limited partner. Well, the article included this, quote, NFL rules hold that the majority owner must hold over 30% equity. Harris says he's well north of that and that Rails is the second largest shareholder at around 10%, end quote. So a bit more clarity on the ownership percentages. We knew that Josh owned at least 30%. What exactly he meant by, quote, well north of that, end quote, we do not know, but that's what he said. Uh, And he said that Mitchell Rails is at 10%. So with the Josh Harris group, number one is Josh Harris, number two is Mitchell Rails, and then we get to the rest of the limited partners. Certainly the two most visible limited partners beyond Mitchell Rails have been Mark Ein and Magic Johnson. What those guys' ownership percentages are, we don't know for sure. Although Mike Ozanian of Forbes Media, he all the way back on April 18th came out with a piece in which he reported that Magic's ownership stake would be at 4%. Uh, A second thing from this ESPN piece on Josh Harris that stood out to me was the reveal that Josh essentially had to court Dan Snyder, had to woo Dan Snyder, had to cultivate Dan Snyder. Quote, for years, Dan Snyder maintained he would never sell. But over the course of the past three years, a series of lawsuits and league and congressional investigations made it untenable for Snyder to continue. That spiral began with a series of reports by the Washington Post into mistreatment of the team's female employees in the middle of 2020. Those allegations led to an investigation by the NFL and then Congress. In February 2022, the NFL opened a second investigation into the team, led by former Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Mary Jo White, following the testimony of two former employees before Congress. Snyder's final surrender seemed to come in February of this year, after ESPN published a story detailing a federal investigation into allegations of financial misconduct by Snyder and the team. Harris followed all of the news from afar, but was close enough to the situation to be in position to bid on the team when the time came. I met with Dan a few times, Harris says. Anytime that you're in a deal like this, the seller has to want to do a deal with you. So I had to cultivate him. This was not the first time he had to build a relationship with the owner of a distressed company. He'd made his career buying companies like this. You have to be transparent, be direct, Harris says. Say what you're going to do and then do it. Be polite, be respectful. Sometimes when you're in a process like this, there's agreements and lawyers and people can get angry. So communication is important. 
The specter of Snyder's legal situation hung over everything. The threat of former Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, one of the richest men in the world, coming in at the last minute and outspending them, was always there. But after nine months of late nights and long calls, Harris and Snyder had a deal. A record for any North American sports franchise. Not Harris's typical buy low (laughs) acquisition. End quote. And of course, the deal was for $6.05 billion in a transaction that was officially completed on July 21st, 2023. But had you like Josh Harris saying that he, quote, had to cultivate, end quote, Dan Snyder, had to meet with him a few times, had to engage in, as Ramona Shelburne wrote, quote, nine months of late nights and long calls, end quote. What do you suppose these conversations between Josh Harris and Dan Snyder were like? What do you think was said in these conversations? Were these serious, at times contentious conversations? Were these lighthearted conversations? Were there jokes made during these conversations? (laughs) Did Dan Snyder make Josh Harris call Dan Mr.? Snyder. Seriously, did Dan, did Danny Boy make Josh call Dan Mr. Snyder? First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, Dan, happy Thanksgiving. Did Dan Snyder make Josh Harris call Dan Mr. Snyder? I'd love to know the answer to that. You know, what would be funny about Dan making Josh call Dan Mr. Snyder would be that Josh actually is a lot richer than Dan is. Dan Snyder's real-time net worth per Forbes as of Tuesday afternoon was $4.1 billion. Josh Harris's real-time net worth per Forbes as of Tuesday afternoon was $7 billion. Based on that, Dan should call Josh Mr. Harris. But anyway, how great would it be (laughs) to have the audio of these conversations between Josh Harris and Dan Snyder. And then a third thing from this ESPN piece on Josh Harris that stood out to me was that Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails have been having lunches with Commander's players. The piece included this quote from Josh, quote, in sports, when your mother says, act as if you're going to read about it on the front page of the paper, that's really true, literally. So how you act, even if it might make sense to do one thing financially, maybe you have to do another thing because it's your responsibility to the people who work in the organization and the city, or it'll play out in public in the wrong way, end quote. And then off that quote, the piece launched into this, quote, that's why he has been so public since taking over the commanders. Right away, he and minority owner Mitch Rails started scheduling lunches with groups of 10 to 12 players to build relationships, end quote. And then we have this quote from receiver Terry McLaurin, quote, I have their phone numbers. I'm able to talk to them. And that's just really different to be able to have more of a personal relationship. And we have some guys in there who are not afraid to ask the tough questions, but also give our honest opinions. Mostly Harris and Rails were just asking how they can improve from the locker room, the training staff, the game day experience, how our families are treated, a lot of things. They just seem little, but they add up, end quote. Uh, Great stuff. And by the way, Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails having lunches with Commanders players is not ownership meddling. Uh, That is not ownership overreach. That is fact-finding 
by ownership. That is new ownership getting to know its employees. Big difference between that and the true ownership meddling uh, that was perpetuated by Dan Snyder over the years. Uh, It is a new day for the commanders. The Josh Harris group remains in its honeymoon period. Now, that won't last forever, but that is the case for now, and that should be the case for now. There will come a time for scrutiny and evaluation of how the Josh Harris group is truly doing in owning the commanders. But for now, it is okay to have this good feeling. We as fans of this team have earned the right to have this good feeling. And speaking of good, catering by Uptown. If you have a big event that you're planning and you want it to be good, go with catering by Uptown. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, also know this, Catering by Uptown has job openings for the event waitstaff. Uh, no experience is necessary and you get paid in-house training. This is a great opportunity if you're looking for work. Visit cateringbyuptown.com That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. A salute to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Uh, There are a lot of stats out there that speak to the frequency with which Commander's quarterback Sam Howell is getting sacked. How about this? The 19 sacks of Sam are the most sacks allowed by an NFL team over its first three games of a regular season since the 2005 Houston Texans over the first three games of their regular season allowed 20 sacks. All 20 of those sacks were of David Carr. It has been 18 years since an NFL quarterback over the first three games of a regular season for his team has taken as many sacks as Sam Howell has taken. A lot for the commanders to correct off their 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon to fall to 2-1. Next up, a game at the 3-0 Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1. 
Time now to speak with Commanders analyst Mark Bullock, who this Commander season is joining me on the podcast on an every other week basis. Uh, Mark is not just a Commanders analyst, he also is a Commanders fan, and he does excellent Commanders film breakdowns. You can read Mark's work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. He has more than 2,000 subscribers. He puts up multiple posts per week, and the posts are in-depth film breakdowns with video. So you can read the writing and watch the video. Uh, Make yourself a smarter Commanders fan. MarkBullock.substack.com. He has written for The Athletic and for The Washington Post. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MarkBullockNFL. Hey, Mark, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing well, all things considered. How about you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wish we were speaking under better circumstances, but such is life. So, Sam Howell, there are the sacks and there are the interceptions. Let's start with the sacks. Uh, he and the loss to the Bills took nine sacks. You have the Commanders' first three games of this regular season has taken 19 sacks. You on Monday on your Substack put out a piece breaking down all nine of the sacks given up by the Commanders in the loss to the Bills. Uh, sacks, generally speaking, are a function of three things from an offensive standpoint, the quarterback, the protection, and the play calling. If you had to put together a blame pie for the 19 sacks, what percent blame would you put on each item? Sam, the protection, and the play calling. Yeah, I think it's going to be somewhat of an unpopular opinion based on my Twitter mentions for the last few days. Um, But uh, I would blame more on Sam Howell than mostly anything else um and, and that's not to say that Howell is a terrible quarterback and, and stuff he's just inexperienced and he's he's facing stuff but the point that Eric the enemy keeps making about anytime something happens it's probably the first time it's happened for him is such a good point and something that they've made a lot so it kind of it kind of washes over people but it is a very fundamentally good point in that he's such an inexperienced quarterback that Every read, even if they were to run the same concept every play, however the defense plays it can change the concept and change the read pretty drastically. If the defense has a single deep safety, that might mean he needs to go to one side of the field. If they have two deep safety, he needs to go to the other side of the field. If they rotate their safeties post-snap, that might change the read, uh, make it more confusing. If they bring a blitz, that makes it more confusing. Um, And so there's so many things processing in his mind at the snap of the ball that naturally an inexperienced quarterback is going to take a little bit longer to get rid of the ball. And that generally speaking has been the result, the the, the reason for uh, probably the majority of the sacks. Um, now, could the protection be better? Of course, there's been certainly, uh, I can think of off the top of my head, three sacks where Andrew Wiley has just gotten beat at right tackle and given up sacks and then there's nothing that Howell could really have done about that but for the most part it's a case of Howell is just taking that beat or two too long to to get rid of the ball and that will just come with experience I think. One of the great lessons of football analytics and of X's and O's breakdowns by people like you has been that sacks are as much of a quarterback stat as they are an offensive line stat. Sam Howell in college took a lot of sacks. He now in the NFL is taking a lot of sacks. Is it realistic for him this season to get appreciably better at not taking sacks? I I think it is realistic. Um, To what extent is realistic is is there's probably a ceiling on how much he can improve. But, um, and some of that can be 
you know they can they can help them out a bit in that regard by by changing up the, the play calling a little bit and and calling more quick game stuff rather than sort of the intermediate passing game and and really simplifying things down and and there was a couple of plays where they spread the defense out by going to empty formations and then that kind of stopped the defense from being able to disguise whatever they were trying to do and and made it very easy for just a catch rock and throw for how um, and, and that's kind of stuff they can do a little bit more of to, to get him into rhythm and getting the ball out quicker. But it, it, as long as they're running new concepts every week um, and they're facing new defenses, each defense is going to have their own certain way of playing things. Uh, as I mentioned, one week a def- you could run the same concept, but one week the defense might play it with a single deep safety, which tells how to work to his left. And if, if the next week, they run the same play, but the, the defense plays two deep safeties, then he needs to work to his right. And, and that that changes how he fundamentally reads the play, and that's going to slow him down if he's used to being like, okay, I'm used to having a single deep safety now. I know I need to go from my X receiver to my running back at the check down. Then suddenly it's, oh, now they're playing two deep safety. I now need to look to my Z receiver or my slot receiver and then my tight end and, and work the progression that way. So it, it, it can change pretty drastically from week to week depending on what team they're playing and, and the coverage they're they're facing. And as I said, if if a defense throws a blitz in there or they rotate their safeties and disguise their, their look pre-snap and post-snap, then that that is going to cause delays as well. But I, I expect it's it's a thing that will come with more reps and, and just he just needs to play more. And the more he plays, the the slower the game will, will be for him and the faster his mental process will be. What did you think of the play calling of Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy in the loss to the Bills? Yeah, I thought I certainly thought there was things he could have done a little bit better to help. How I, I I think there was there was one or two plays where he wasn't necessarily getting people open, and and that can happen just from you know expecting a certain coverage and not getting that look in that time. Um, but there, there were times when uh, everyone wants to speak to the run game, and and, and yes, the, the, they could have probably run the ball more. Um, there were a few plays where they called some RPOs, which are you know designed run plays with the option to pass. And, and in fact, one of Sam Howell's sacks was an RPO where he made the wrong decision to try to throw the ball, and then realized that throw wasn't on, and ended up getting sacked. So um, there there were opportunities maybe to to try and run the ball more, but at a certain point you're you're down multiple scores against the Bills. You know the, the Bills have the ability to, to score on any drive um, and come up with explosive plays on any given drive. So you, you need to get back into the game, and then the quickest way to get back into the game is passing the ball. So um, they kind of got themselves into a bit of a hole. So it, it was tough to run the ball more, but certainly that there were there were probably a few things the enemy could have done a little bit better to to maybe help Howe out a little bit more. Much more with Mark Bullock in moments. We're going to next get into the four interceptions that Sam Howell threw in the loss to the Bills. Uh, Sam will have better games, including hopefully this game at the Eagles this Sunday afternoon. Perhaps Sam will come out on fire. And hey, if you live in Northern Virginia and you need fireplace, stove, or chimney work done, you got to go with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. It handles gas fireplace sales, service, and installation. 
handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm and upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by massive Commanders fans, and it has outstanding professionals. Whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master gas fitter, master electrician, class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector, and because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need any subcontractors and Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It has a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, NovaFireplaceandStove.com. And take advantage of the special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571 571- 513-3803. That's 571-513-3803. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock. Check out his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. So, the interceptions. Uh, Sam Howell in the loss to the Bills through four interceptions. Uh, you on Monday on your Substack put out a piece on the lessons that Sam can learn from his four picks against the Bills. Uh, all four picks were on Sam. Is that correct? Uh, maybe maybe the third one was a little bit more on on the pressure. He, he possibly could have been a little bit quicker getting that ball out. But uh, in, in general, he, he the, at least three of them were, were pretty much on him, yeah. Okay. And in terms of the lessons from the interceptions, we want people to read your piece so you don't have to give everything away. But what would you say was the biggest lesson from the picks? Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of understanding, you know, the, the context of each play. Like the, the first the first interception, I think, was a, a quite a telling one where they were trying to run uh, what's a dagger concept where you have one receiver running vertically up the seam to try to clear away the safety. You have a second receiver running a dig route in behind that to into the vacated space. And then typically you'll have a third receiver spotting up somewhere underneath to, to grab the underneath coverage and, and vacate that dig route. Um, now on on the play that they, they ran, it was third down and third and long, so they kept their tight end into chip um, the defensive end to help the protection, which meant that the tight end was then late in getting out to the flat rather than spotting up underneath and that meant that the linebacker underneath rather than being manipulated by the tight end underneath he was able to just keep sinking back and he sunk back into that throwing lane and and typically you know on a normal dagger concept uh, uh, kind of i wrote this in my piece if it had been second and five from midfield 
on a normal dagger concept, you'd have that tight end spotting up and occupying that underneath linebacker. And that would open up that shot behind the linebacker to the, the receiver running the dig. And that's what Hal tried to do. He tried to throw that dig route to, to I think it was Tiami Brown. But because it was third down, uh, third and long, and the tight end had to chip, and that meant him being late out into his route, that linebacker was able to just sink back and sink back and sink under the throw and intercept it. Um, so understanding that the context, um, kind of as I spoke to earlier, that every single play, even though he'll have run dagger a million times, he, he ran dagger last year uh, plenty. That was one of Scott Turner's favorite concepts. So he would have known that concept and uh, he'd have run it in college. Every single play and every single um down distance plays a part in how a read can change and because that tight end had to stay into chip because it was third and long um that meant he was late getting out and couldn't influence the underneath linebacker as much and, and that meant that a guy that typically how wouldn't see there was there um so um yeah it, it, it's it's the understanding of you know understanding of context of each play and the situation at hand and it's a lot to process, um, but and it's something that I think will come with time. Um, it's just it's kind of the lump she has to take for the young quarterback. Are there schematic things that the Bills did against Sam Howell that you expect other commanders' opponents to now do? I mean, this was his first truly bad NFL game. Did the Bills, to any extent, reveal a formula for making things difficult for Sam? Um. I don't know so much as it's a, necessarily a formula. I think one thing that has cropped up in every game, and this includes in preseason when, when Howe took a few sacks in preseason, um, teams were running a lot of what's known as simulated pressures or sim pressures where it's designed to look like a big blitz and overloading one side of the line, but actually it turns out to just be a four-man rush where the kind of typical example would be you rush a linebacker or a slot corner off one side and you drop the defensive end into coverage from the other side. Um, so you're still rushing four and dropping seven into coverage. It's just not necessarily the four that the offensive line expects to rush. Um, and the Ravens in preseason got a couple sacks with that. The Browns in preseason got a couple sacks with that. Uh, the Cardinals got a sack with that. I think the Cardinals also got an interception doing that. Um, and the, the Bills got a sack. Uh, and they actually the the second interception was also off of a sim pressure like that. Um, so that's something that I think they will see a lot of. Um, it, it's not necessarily a formula specific for how. It's something that a lot of quarterbacks struggle with, and it, it's a type of scheme that is pretty popular amongst, amongst the league right now um, because it's a, it's a fairly safe way to dial up pressure it attacks a protection scheme rather than necessarily a um it's not like you're overloading a blitz and, and sending seven guys and, and playing risky coverage you're you're only rushing four but you're you're targeting specific linemen or a specific protection scheme um and, and you're beating them that way um so until until Al and nick gates can kind of get a handle on who the, the defense is likely to bring on those kind of sim pressures on any given play, it will continue. Um, and it's something that is very frustrating to watch because when you watch it, it's we've got five offensive linemen, they're only rushing four, we should be able to block each one of these guys, and yet yeah, they're somehow getting a guy rushing free every time. But it's you have to understand how protection schemes work and 
the the offensive line are, are generally set to block the four def- down defensive linemen and one linebacker. And if that linebacker doesn't rush, or if one of the defensive end drops out, then suddenly the the offensive line are stood around looking for who their guy is, and sudden and then the slot corners coming off the other side completely free. So um, it, it's a tough one to pick up. It's a tough one to find clues on, um, and it's something that. A lot of defenses are running. Washington uses it themselves, um, and uh, I, th- I think it's something that we'll we'll see plenty of in the coming weeks. I did not have a problem with uh, the Commanders' head coach Rod Rivera allowing Sam Howell to finish the loss to the Bills, even though, uh, yeah, Sam did continue to take sacks. Did you have a problem with Ron not pulling Sam? Uh, no, I didn't have a problem with him not pulling him. I, I did wonder whether he might do at one point. Um, Early in the game, he took that hit where he was kind of looking at his hand a little bit, and I, I wondered whether um, that might impact him a little bit. He had a bit of a rough series on the next drive, I think. Um, and then late on in the game, just because he was taking so many sacks, I wondered whether um, after you know the sixth or seventh sack, they might have just pulled him. But um, I, I, I don't have a problem with them putting him in there and leaving him in there. I, I, for me, this season is about they've put so much into Sam Howell. It's about seeing what he can do. And it's about finding out exactly what you have in him. So yeah, I don't think you gain anything from uh, other, other than potentially protecting him from himself. If he's, if he's running into sacks like he was sometimes, um, I don't think you gain anything from benching him. This loss to the Bills was an especially bad game for Sam Howell. Quarterbacks have bad games. We get that. But it's not often that an NFL quarterback throws four interceptions, including a pick six, and takes nine sacks in the same game. Did the level of bad from Sam on Sunday afternoon at all make you reevaluate your outlook on him as an NFL quarterback? Uh, it, it doesn't make me reevaluate what, what he is. Uh, it, it maybe shines a light on where he's at. Um, and I think the last two weeks because they've been able to come back from bad spots and win games. It's kind of overshadowed when you win, you tend to look at, Oh, look at these positive throws that you made uh, and kind of ignore the, the mistakes that, that he did have and, and the lessons to be learned there. Um, and then when you lose and, and you know, the, the last two weeks they got into bad spots against two pretty bad teams. Like the Cardinals, everyone thinks they're going to be tanking for Caleb Williams or whatever quarterback they want for the number one overall pick. Um, and the Broncos, you know, yesterday or Sunday, we saw just what happened to them um, against the team like the Miami Dolphins. So the, the, the teams that they got down to and they dug themselves into a hole against weren't exactly amazing teams. So I did kind of think the Bills would put up a big game against them and, 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 give them issues. I did think Washington would handle it better than they did. I didn't think it would be 37-3 or whatever it ended up being, but um, I, I think it just kind of, you know, it was a cycle of the offense was, was bad, Sam Howell is still developing, and the Bills are a very, very good team, uh, particularly on defense. With the commander's defense in the loss to the Bills, to see the commanders finish with no sacks and one quarterback hit and the Bills finish with nine sacks and 15 quarterback hits really was something. How and why did the Bills do well against the commander's defensive line? Uh, I, I, I hate to say it comes down to quarterback play, but it, it does really. Like Josh Allen is uh, an amazing quarterback at this point, and 
Uh, I think I saw a stat online, someone tweeted that I think Sam Howell was pressured on 22 dropbacks, sacked nine times through four interceptions. Josh Allen was pressured on something like 17 or 18 dropbacks, wasn't sacked once, didn't throw an interception. Um, and, and that kind of tells you the story that you need to know, really, is that the quarterback can make a huge difference. And when you have an elite guy like Josh Allen, like that first, that opening drive was insane. The, the defense on first and second down were lights out. The, the Bills tried a few different trick plays and, and some schemes that Washington have struggled with in the past, and Washington completely shut them down. Um, and then it gets to third and long, and Josh Allen just decides, yeah, I'm just going to take over this game and scramble around and, and break the pocket, pick up 15 yards on a scramble on, on the first third down. On the second third down, he's just going to leave Montez sweat standing there looking at nothing and, and throw a bomb to Stefan Diggs 30 yards down the field. It, it's it's insane the ability he has, and it's it's tough to really critique the defense when you're going up against a guy against a guy like that. It, it's it's very, very hard to defend that. I on this podcast have talked about this with others, but more and more it really seems that an NFL defense is only as good as the inverse of the quarterback the defense is facing. Like, yes, there are levels of defense. Some defenses certainly are better than other defenses, but in the current NFL, we see supposedly good defenses get worked by good quarterbacks all of the time. And I'm not trying to take the commander's defense off the hook, but I just don't think that truly dominant defense is realistic in today's NFL and that so much of how well a defense plays in a game is about the opposing quarterback. Uh, how do you view this issue? I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, definitely agree with that. Like, if, if the quarterback is good enough, and it does, there, you know, there is maybe two or three quarterbacks in the league that are truly good enough to overcome just about anything. And you look at Josh Allen, they, they played one this week. There's Patrick Mahomes is another one. Um, they're, they're guys that just, they can speed up their process and get the ball out quickly if, if you're rushing quickly off the edge. If if you get interior pressure and the guy's flushed out of the pocket, they're, they're athletic enough to, to scramble around and then make the play themselves. Um, they can, if the, if the play breaks down and you cover it perfectly and you've got a contain rush, and the quarterback's just sat in the pocket, they can make something happen. The amount of times you see Mahomes or, or Allen or, in the past, Aaron Rodgers, you know, scramble around and buy time, extend plays, that's extremely hard to cover. Like that, that Stefan Diggs play we talked about on the opening drive where he caught that ball 37 yards downfield or wherever it was. Emmanuel Forbes is in coverage, and Forbes did a pretty good job on, on the initial route. Like there was nothing open for any of the receivers on that play. And then Josh Allen makes Montez Sweat kind of pause, runs out to his right, and Diggs just takes off. And there's no chance. Like, nobody's covering Diggs running, sprinting down the field completely off script. Forbes had no hint that that's what was happening. And, and frankly, he did well to get back and make the tackle. So um, it, it's very, very hard to defend when you have an elite quarterback, an elite quarterback like Alan Mahomes. And again, there's only two or three of those guys in the league right now. Um, but if you have that kind of guy, it, as you say, the defense is kind of at, at mercy of how well that guy decides to play on any given day. Well, hopefully one day our team has that guy, and maybe Sam Howell will become that guy, but we're not there yet. Commander's analyst Mark Bullock, read his great work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. Mark, 
Thanks a lot, and we'll talk soon. Cheers, up. All right. Well, if you are looking for great deals on tickets to Commander's Games, make sure that you download the GameTime app and use the promo code ALGALDI. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the GameTime app. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on GameTime looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. GameTime is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. GameTime is the app for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. GameTime also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with GameTime, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, Terms do apply, but download the GameTime app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi, for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. Download the game time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey, fall is here, gentlemen. Soon, it'll be the holiday season. You've got a lot going on. Don't let all that's happening stop you from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. This is where our friends at Caldera Lab come in. Caldera Lab is the best in the skincare game. And you, with an easy routine via Caldera Lab, can keep your face looking pretty (laughs) no matter your schedule. Plus, what's a better gift than clear skin? Join the 100,000 men who trust Caldera Lab to show your best self and first impression this fall. Plus, Caldera Lab makes for a great gift. Look, if you're a guy and you're like me, you don't know much about skincare, but Caldera Lab makes skincare for guys easy. The Caldera Lab regimen includes three products, the Clean Slate, the Base Layer, and the Good. Uh, The Clean Slate is a face wash that starts and ends your day and leaves all skin types refreshed. The Base Layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence. And the Good is your go-to multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of this serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. One minute each morning and one minute each night, that's all that it takes to reduce your wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. You will be looking like a million bucks. And here's a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to calderalab.com. Caldera is spelled C-A-L-D-E-R-A. Calderalab.com. And use the promo code GALDI, G-A-L-D-I, my last name, GALDI, to get 20% off. That's calderalab.com, promo code GALDI. 
for 20% off. Show your best self or make an unforgettable impression with a great gift. CalderaLab.com, promo code GALDI for 20% off. That's CalderaLab.com, promo code GALDI for 20% off. Well, Washington has won at the Philadelphia Eagles in two of the last three seasons. Might we be able to say three of the last four seasons come this late Sunday afternoon? Uh, the 2-1 and one Commanders are at the 3-0 and oh and defending NFC champion Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1 in the first NFC East game for each team this regular season. Time now for some intel on the Eagles. And for that, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Sean Green, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast, one of the biggest and most successful sports gambling podcasts in the country, and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles podcast. You can follow Sean on Twitter, at Sean T. Green. And he has the perfect last name as both a sports gambling guy and an Eagles fan, Green. Uh, Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, Eagles off to a nice three and zero start, and also, yeah, Jalen Hurts twenty and one in his last twenty one starts in the regular season, and of course, your Commanders were that uh, were that one L. I mean, last year he loses two games, both heartbreakers. Obviously, the Super Bowl, but then even that that Monday night game, we had some chances, we had some shots. The Quez Watkins fumble. Hey, it's the NFC. Anything can happen. But yeah, the Commanders have unfortunately had our number a little bit. So I, I think the Eagles will be getting up for this one. Hopefully not, but you're probably right. So Eagles are 3-0. and Are there any major nits to pick, any major complaints, or are you Eagles fans who notoriously love to complain actually satisfied? Oh well, if you were uh, if you were listening to the Eagles podcast or listening to talk radio, you you swear they were zero and three. With some <laughs> of the, the problem is when you when you when the team is good, the standard gets raised so high. Yeah, like that first win against the Patriots was kind of uh, ugly and sloppy at times. I think there's there definitely are a couple of issues. One, like the the offense is definitely not firing on all cylinders, which is crazy because you look at the yardage they put up against the uh, Bucks. Uh, it was like four seventy two, and they were moving the ball, but then yeah, had a bad fourth and two, uh, sold out a little bit in the red zone. Hertz has had four turnovers in three games, which is kind of uncharacteristic. So. There's definitely some uh, some people who are like, what's going on with the offense? Brian Johnson. I still think they're transitioning uh, from the from the previous uh, play caller, Shane Steichen, who I, I really liked as a play caller. I said of the two guys that are going to be head coaches, I thought Steichen uh, was a much, much better candidate. So, yeah, there's definitely some stuff that people are upset about. But I, I try and remind my fellow Eagles fans, we're 3-0. and It could be worse. It could be the Cowboys, right, losing to the Cardinals. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we can't agree on that. The three games for the Eagles so far this regular season, week one, 25-20 win at the New England Patriots, week two, 34-28 win over the Minnesota Vikings on Thursday night football, and week three, 25-11 win at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday night football. Was that win on Monday night the Eagles' best win so far this season? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, I, it depends if you thought 
the Vikings were like a legit playoff contender or whatever. I I actually was kind of high on the Bucks uh, coming in preseason. I thought they were a, a, a fun long shot to win the division, eight to one, nine to one. I like their over uh, six and a half wins. I thought it was pretty low. And this is actually, I think their team. Um, I, I think they were. It wasn't a good matchup for the Bucks, but I do think this was a nice win, especially to go on the road Monday night and and close out a game like that. Now, the Eagles probably should have won by a bigger margin because of some of the opportunities, like I said, in the red zone. But, um, yeah, the, the offense really moved the ball well. And the, the defense, this was like a breakout performance for the defense. Uh, we lost Devontae Maddox, our slot cornerback, who's really good for the season. Um, they didn't really miss him in this game. They moved... Uh, they moved James Bradbury into into the slot to help out with Chris Godwin. They did a good job on Mike Evans. I mean, some of that, you know, Bucks had a couple drop balls, but really the defensive line, in particular, Jalen Carter, uh, rookie out of Georgia, has just been dominating right now. And then uh, last year's rookie, Jordan Davis, who there was some concerns last year, like didn't really have an impactful season for a guy drafted that high, lost some weight, and he's having a breakout year as well. And then you kind of have the veteran Fletcher Cox, who doesn't have to play a, a ton of snaps and, and they can use situationally. Um, the D-line has really, really come along. Yeah, the Eagles have had a good defensive line for a while, but them now having Jalen Carter took him with the number nine overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft out of Georgia. He, for this regular season through week three, has an overall grade for pro football focus of 93.2. PFF grades on a scale of zero to 100. This guy's at 93.2, number one among all qualified interior defensive linemen in the NFL. So this Eagles defensive line now with Carter, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, and Milton Williams on the interior, and Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, and Derek Barnett as edge defenders. The Eagles have had some great defensive lines over the years. Could this defensive line be the best defensive line in Eagles history? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say that this early, and it and it's maybe sacrilege because they did have Reggie White, they did have guys like Jerome. I mean, they had a defensive line with Reggie White, Jerome Brown, and Clyde Simmons. So to say greatest of all time, I, I think it's tough. But there's a lot of um, a lot of Jerome Brown that reminds me of what we're seeing early with Jalen Carter. Again, three games in, but certainly has the potential. I mean, you just look at where these guys were drafted and the defenses that they're coming from. The pedigree is there and so far we've, we've really seen the results and last year they they led the league in sacks and kind of picking up uh, right where they left off the Eagles cornerback duo of Darius Slay and James Bradbury was so good last season how are those guys doing so far this season good good yeah I mean uh, Jefferson got his I would say uh in the Monday night game or sorry it was the uh, Thursday night game so Je- Jefferson I thought you know he, he's he's a, he's gonna be a tough guy to completely stop and of course there was that play where he reached over the end zone probably should have figured out how to get a touchdown but ended up fumbling out of the end zone that was a nice break um for the Eagles but yeah there's been some moments last year I thought where Slay and Bradbury Kind of a little bit of liability. I, I think I think this team in particular uh, will struggle with elite speed. So uh, we got the Dolphins on the calendar. I mean, who doesn't struggle covering Tyree Kill? But I think that in particular is the type of receivers that could beat them. Um, but so far, they've they've done a decent job for sure. 
We are getting a deep dive on the commander's opponent in week four, the Eagles, with Sean Green, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. Your quarterback, Jalen Hurts, uh, he last season had a breakout season. The Eagles this past April signed him to a five-year, $255 million contract extension with $110 million fully guaranteed. Any problem with the Eagles doing that? No, no, I, I was I was all in on Jalen Hurts. I, I love what I've seen out of him, and he's a, he's a classic coach's son. So if there's anyone I'm not worried about putting in the time, putting in the effort, putting in the work, essentially everything that we learned Carson Wentz wasn't doing, you know, getting along with his teammates, being a leader in the clubhouse, like all that intangible stuff that like all these guys are great athletes. They know how to throw a football. It's really the... the the winning and the greatness comes around the edges, and, and he seems to put in the time and, and truly cares. And even just as a as a market guy, you got to trust Howie Roseman the way he's he's handled handled the cap, and then even some of the other deals around his deal. I think it's looking pretty favorable. So the the defense is playing well. He has a ton of offensive weapons and a really good offensive line. He's in a great position to succeed. And yeah, I'm I'm fine with them paying him. Yeah, when we spoke last September, I asked you about Carson Wentz. I will not be asking you about Carson Wentz this year. (laughs) Thankfully. (laughs) Just so you know. Uh, The Eagles have been this like rushing offense machine for a few seasons now. But running back DeAndre Swift, the Eagles acquired him via trade with the Detroit Lions this past April. He, for the Lions, was a nice back. But he, for the Eagles this regular season, is number two in the NFL in rushing yards with 308. He's averaging 6.84 yards per carry. What has stood out to you with him? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy that, uh, you know, to your point, he's second in the league in rushing and didn't only had one carry that first game in New England. So going back to what are Eagles fans mad about? Why did DeAndre Swift not have more carries game one? <laughs> hey, guys, we figured it out uh, for game two. We don't need to be so mad. We still won the game. He's looked He's looked great. I will also say some of those holes you saw on the Monday night game and even the game against the Vikings, I, I we were debating in our Eagles group text how many yards I could get on 20 carries with this offensive line. I was I was saying, I, hey, I might be able to pick up three yards a carry if I could stay in the game. He is running behind a, an offensive line that's just pushing people around. And it does seem like there's two things that have been going on. One, like last year, I thought um, Hertz in particular, like really broke out passing. Number of reasons. One, bringing in A.J. Brown. Two, type of offense they ran. Um, and, and the way defenses were playing him. Like they were, I think defenses came into the season last year saying, hey, beat us with your arm. And then he started doing that in a lot of cases. Now, from what I've seen, it does feel like, they're, they're playing back a little bit, playing a little more coverage, um, playing the edge a little bit better for the RPOs. I think the RPO has struggled for the Eagles uh, so far this year as far as a play call. But um, it's creating awesome opportunities uh, for the running game. So uh, it, there's definitely been some positives as well. A lot of weapons for the Eagles on offense. You think about the receivers, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. You think about the tight end, Dallas Goddard. We were just talking about running back, DeAndre Swift. Who is the Eagles' most important skill position player? Oh, yeah, I, I still think it's A.J. Brown. But I, I said to my buddy, we were watching the game, I go, man, we are so lucky to have two receivers that are truly both number one receivers. I mean, for years and years, 
essentially the entire Andy Reid era, we just couldn't find a receiver to save our life. The one year we have it with T.O., we get to the Super Bowl, don't get the win. T.O. goes off the deep end, they get rid of him, the, the whole locker room cancer thing. And uh, it was just a struggle to find elite, elite receivers uh, for the Eagles. And now it feels like we got both. So, yeah, I think A.J. Brown is still his guy. Like, in a got to have its spot. The ball is going to go to A.J. Brown. But Devonta Smith just... Man, he is a tough guard, like he elite route runner. But yeah, I would still say AJ Brown is the guy to slow down. When you look at the resurgence of the Eagles since the firing of Doug Peterson as head coach in January 2021, who deserves more credit for the resurgence? The Eagles executive vice president and general manager Howie Roseman or the Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni? Oh man. That is a that's the uh, million dollar question, right? I would say Nick Sirianni. Now, not to take any anything away from Howie Roseman, Howie Roseman put together a good roster, but a lot of those, you know, that off they still had that offensive line when Doug Peterson was there. Um, they had some of those core guys uh, there with Nick Sirianni, but. The, what Nick Sirianni has done, I mean, they were two and five. I, I remember them losing that game to the Raiders because uh, I was at that game in Las Vegas. It was a great environment, minus them getting destroyed, and it felt like there was a bottoming out. Did we did we hire the wrong guy? What's going on here? Uh, this is yeah. I didn't think we were going to be dominant this year. It's transition year, but that looked really, really bad. And then Nick Sirianni goes out and gives his uh, infamous flower speech, where he compares the team to flowers, and you got to wait for the roots to take uh, heat. And and everyone on uh, you know Philly Sports Talk Radio was clowning him, calling him high school Harry. <laughs> Nick Sirianni's not. Killed for comparing the team to flowers. You should have heard the calls. Oh yeah, I'm a professional athlete. You're you're getting me fired up with the flower speech. And then we saw uh, Jason Kelsey, team leader, when they broke down the huddle, they go roots on three. So it was clear him and some of the other veteran guys were buying in. And then they went out and they just waxed the Detroit Lions team and really kind of changed the game. They started running a ton, um, you know, putting Jalen Hurts in optimal uh, positions, and then kind of snuck in the playoffs uh that momentum you know dragged on to next season where they really went on a run um you know dominated dominated in the playoffs minus that minus that such a frustrating end of the super bowl but other than that a pretty uh pretty amazing season so yeah i I would definitely have to give it to sirianni because whatever sirianni did with hurts to unlock where he got to i think has been huge and um, yeah, and I would say too, like even early on, it's only three games in, but they they have transitioned from losing both their coordinators, which I think is can be a death sentence to some of these teams. All right, Sean Green, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. Great insight on the Eagles, Sean. Good to talk to you, man, and thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Go Birds. <laughs> Not on this podcast, never on this podcast. Well, Sean Green knows sports gambling exceptionally well. And so I know that he knows about the greatness of Underdog Fantasy, which is offering a limited time enhanced special offer to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $500 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code Galdi. My last name, G-A-L-D-I, Galdi. 
I, for this season, am making fantasy football picks for Commanders games in terms of underdog fantasies, higher, lower totals. Uh, underdog fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. Uh, And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and the potential to win money and take advantage of the free money. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $500 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $500, you get $500 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, few things in life go together as well as pizza and an NFL game day. Make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, which is one hour before NFL games. You can pick your favorite Little Caesars pizza. You can pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like picking players for your fantasy team, only with Little Caesars Pizza, you never lose. And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So, Grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour of the week. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame. One hour before NFL games. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza.
Well, we on Tuesday evening had game one of a two-game series for the Nationals at the American League-leading Orioles, but we less than an hour before the scheduled 6.35 p.m. first pitch learned of really sad news. Orioles all-time great Brooks Robinson had passed away. He was 86 years old. Uh, I first came to know Brooks Robinson as an announcer. Uh, he was an analyst for telecast of Orioles games. I remember watching Brooks on Orioles games on Channel 20 in the Washington, D.C. area in the 1980s. But of course, Brooks Robinson is one of the greatest third basemen in baseball history. He played his entire major league career with the O's. His major league career spanned parts of 23 seasons, 1955 through 1977. His age, 18 through age 40 seasons. <laughs> Think about that. Uh, Brooks is number two in Orioles franchise history in career regular season wins above replacement war per baseball reference at 78.4. Number one is another guy who played third base and also some shortstop, Cal Ripken Jr., 95.9. Brooks was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1983, uh, the year of the Orioles' last World Series championship. Uh, Brooks won 16 Gold Glove Awards, a record for a position player. He was the American League MVP for the 1964 season. He was part of World Series championship Orioles teams for the 1966 and 1970 seasons and was part of American League pennant winning Orioles teams for the 1966, 1969, 1970, and 19. 71 seasons. He is the best defensive third baseman in baseball history. He is one of the best defensive players in baseball history. And Brooks was known as a total class act. You will not find anyone having anything bad to say about Brooks Robinson, the guy. When I started playing Little League Baseball, I wore number five and played third base in honor of Brooks Robinson. Uh, he was before my time, but I was given a video <laughs> of Brooks Robinson and George Plimpton talking about Brooks's career. The video was about Brooks's career. And my dad taught me about Brooks Robinson, a.k.a. the human vacuum cleaner, one of the great nicknames in baseball history. So I became a big Brooks Robinson fan and always will be a big Brooks Robinson fan. So rest in peace, Brooks Robinson, an absolute Orioles legend. Well, as for this game for the Nats at the O's on Tuesday evening, uh, the O's won, won nothing. The Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night did win, a 9-7 win at the Boston Red Sox. But the Orioles' magic number to clinch the American League East now is down to two, as the O's do have the tiebreaker with the Rays. So the O's could clinch the American League East as soon as Wednesday night. Uh, the O's for this regular season now are 98-59, and most wins for the O's in a regular season since having 98 wins in the 1997 regular season. The Nats for this regular season now are 69 and 89, including just 8 and 20 over their last 28 games. The O's this regular season are 3 and 0 against the Nats. All three wins have been shutout wins. April 18th, a 1 nothing win at the Nats. April 19th, a 4 nothing win at the Nats. And now September 26th, a 1 nothing win over the Nats at Oriole Park at Camden Yards to get back to Joe Angel the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. <laughs> That's right, Joe, the win column. Uh, this game on Tuesday evening set up to be a pitcher's duel, and the game was just that. Each team's starting pitcher was its best starting pitcher 
this season. Uh, the Orioles starting pitcher was Kyle Bradish, who coming into Tuesday for this regular season was number six among all pitchers in the majors in war for baseball reference at 4.3. Then that starting pitcher was Josiah Gray, who coming into Tuesday for this regular season had a war for baseball reference of 2.8, and both Bradish and Gray were really good. Uh, Kyle Bradish tossed eight scoreless innings. He gave up just three hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 104 pitches, 65 strikes versus 39 balls. Kyle Bradish now for this regular season, 29 starts, ERA of 2.86. What a season he's having. The O's acquired Bradish in December 2019 as part of the trade package from the Los Angeles Angels for starting pitcher Dylan Bundy. Bradish in his 2022 rookie regular season was really bad over his first 10 starts, but then was good over his final 13 starts, and he this season has been tremendous. Here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Kyle Bradish. And I didn't really think he had it going early. I thought they did, took some good at-bats against him, laying off some breaking balls down. But uh, that's so impressive. I mean, late September, uh, pennant race, and go eight shutout innings, um, and not much hard contact the entire night. He just got really good stuff. He's the, the sinker has been a game changer for him. And now he has command of it to both sides of the plate, two breaking balls, uh, and obviously the cutting fastball that he has at 96. It's, uh, it's special stuff. And then change-ups too. So he's just becoming a complete pitcher. The command has improved so much in the last year and a half. And uh, that's why he's turning out these lights-out performances. And also good for the O's on Tuesday evening was their closer, Yanir Cano. He tossed a perfect top of the ninth with three swinging strikeouts, which were of the Nats' numbers two through four batters. Right fielder Lane Thomas, catcher Kbert Ruiz, and designated hitter Joey Manessis. It is huge for the O's if Yanir Cano can go into the postseason pitching as he was pitching when he was rolling earlier this season because the drop-off of Cano has been a big part of the drop-off in the Orioles' bullpen. Uh, the Nats in this game on Tuesday evening were feeble offensively. No runs, a mere three hits, all of which were singles, two walks, 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. Now, it's not like the O's offensively were much better. One run, uh, just six hits, a solo homer, and five singles, three walks, 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. Two of the Orioles' six hits came from Gunnar Henderson, who continued to make his case for American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, Henderson on Tuesday evening as the Orioles' starting shortstop and number one batter went two for four with a solo homer and an infield single, although he did get thrown out on an attempted steal of home. But bottom of the first, Henderson, a leadoff home run to right center field off Josiah Gray for a one nothing Orioles lead, despite having been down in the count at one point. One, two, uh, the homer went a projected 400 feet per stat cast. And Henderson in the bottom of the eighth, a leadoff infield single on an 0-2 pitch from reliever Robert Garcia on a ball that went off first baseman Dominic Smith, who made a diving attempt at the ball. But then Henderson later in the inning got thrown out on an attempted steal of home. He with two outs and one of the Orioles' best hitters this season, first baseman Ryan O'Hearn batting, came charging home on an attempted straight steal of home, while Robert Garcia, a lefty, with his back to third base, was preparing for his next pitch. But Garcia threw home in time, and Henderson was tagged out 
by catcher Kate Bear Ruiz. Uh, the O's challenged the play, but lost the challenge. Uh, Henderson clearly was out. But still, Gunnar Henderson for this regular season is number one on the O's in home runs with 28 and is number one among all qualified Orioles players in OPS at 827. And then with Josiah Gray. So we knew going into the game that this would be Gray's final start of the season. Nats manager Davey Martinez, for whom, by the way, Tuesday was his 59th birthday. Happy birthday, Davey. Uh, Davey, during his pregame session with reporters on Tuesday afternoon, said that the Nats' three starting pitchers for the team's season-ending series at the Major League Leading Atlanta Braves this weekend will be Trevor Williams, Jackson Rutledge, and Joanna Doan. So no more Josiah Gray this season. Uh, But Gray ended his 2023 season on a high note. Gray on Tuesday evening allowed one run in six innings with seven strikeouts. He gave up just five hits, a solo homer, and four singles. He issued two walks, and he threw a good number of strikes as he over 98 pitches threw 63 strikes versus 35 balls. Josiah Gray was the Nats' lone all-star this season. He threw July was having a terrific season. He then, though, had a horrendous six-start stretch that lasted from August 1st through September 3rd. Gray, over the six starts, had an ERA of 849 and issued a staggering 21 walks in 23 and a third innings. And there was some ugliness. Uh, Gray's final start in that six-start stretch came in a 6-4 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on September 3rd. Gray, in a Marlins three-run first, gave up a one-out full count ground rule double by Jazz Chisholm Jr. on a high fly ball that center fielder Jacob Young lost in the sun, and then the ball bounced off the left field warning track and over the wall. Gray, after the inning, appeared to yell at Jacob Young, quote, catch the effing ball, end quote. And Gray did this out in the open for all to hear and see. Uh, Gray was spoken to by first baseman Dominic Smith and did express remorse during a post-game session with reporters. But Gray then was given a break. His next start did not happen until September 14th. But Josiah Gray, over his final three starts this season, just four earned runs in 17 and a third innings, 21 strikeouts versus five walks. He ended his season on a high note, and he ended his 2023 regular season with these numbers for the 2023 regular season. 30 starts, ERA of 391, a whip of 1.46. Now, there is work to do, but this was a step forward season for Josiah Gray. This was just his age 25 season, so he has plenty of time to get better. Uh, But the Nats acquired Gray and catcher K-Bert Ruiz from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects in a crop of four prospects for starting pitcher Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized on July 31st, 2021. Josiah Gray is a key piece in the Nats' rebuild. He, the previous two seasons, really wasn't that good. Uh, Gray for the Nats in the 2021 regular season made 12 starts, but registered an ERA of 531. Gray for the 2022 regular season had an ERA of 502, uh, gave up a major league worst 38 home runs, and issued a national league worst 66 walks. But Gray this season, much better. Great to see that. Uh, The Nats' bullpen on Tuesday evening, Jordan Weems, a perfect bottom of the seventh with two swinging strikeouts, Robert Garcia, a scoreless bottom of the eighth. But 
Yeah, the death of Brooks Robinson, in a lot of ways, was the story of the night at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. This was how Brandon Hyde started his post-game press conference on Tuesday night. I'll start off by saying our deep condolences to uh, the Robinson family. Um, I think a lot of guys played tonight with a heavy heart. It was uh, emotional before the game to hear the news. Um, the time he spent with us last year, especially coming in the clubhouse after he threw the first pitch, and it was really motivational, inspirational for our players. He's an icon in this game, an icon in this city. There's not many, there's not many of those, and so uh, uh, just we feel terrible for his family. Well said. Game two for the Nats at the O's Wednesday evening at 6:35. The pitching matchup: Patrick Corbin versus Grayson Rodriguez. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 666. Uh-oh, the show of the devil. <laughs> uh, that show will provide you with more on the Commanders with them on Wednesday, beginning their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Philadelphia Eagles at 1. Also, we'll talk Orioles and Nationals as we on Wednesday evening at 6.35 have Game 2 of a two-game series between the O's and Nats at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. First off, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.